We're going to the book of Ephesians this morning. Now, if you need a Bible, we have ushers that can hand you one. We are going to have a conversation this morning uh, that uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're new to church and you're new to the Christian conversation, um, one of the shocking things that happens is that Christians disagree with each other. I know that is totally contrary to your experience, but last week we began a conversation out of the book of Ephesians to, to just talk about... Who is this Holy Spirit? So you've heard of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, maybe. And uh, there's some controversy around this, shockingly. And so we just wanted to do uh, a bunch of kind of 101 stuff. That Jesus, the night before uh, he's betrayed and is crucified, looks at his kind of ragtag bands of followers. You don't have great seats right now, do you? Not at all. You're looking at my knees. But let me tell you what. They could be my best feature. I'm I'm just saying. You may... She's, they're very shiny. Yeah, they're, they're hairy. Um, okay, now you get shins too. It's awesome. Now, <laughs> we, uh, did we talk about baldness yet? Oh, can't get enough. We, um, we, uh, we wanted just to make the point, Jesus looks around at his kind of band of peasants and he looks at them with a straight face and he says, you guys will be doing the same things I've been doing. And when you read that in English, I mean, it sounds like they're going to be doing the same things Jesus was doing, right? I mean, it just, Jesus kind of, you know, and he's been raising people from the dead, and he's been walking on water and, and feeding 5,000 people and kind of doing Jesus stuff. And then, and then he looks at the, these peasants and he says, well, you're going to be doing the same thing. And how that works is that Jesus says, when I return to the Father, I'm going to send you another one of me, the Holy Spirit, that literally my presence will be in you. Not just around you, among you, but in you. You will be indwelt by God. And this Spirit will guide you and lead you and speak with you and and intercede for you. This Spirit will remind you that you're actually my child. This Spirit will, uh, if you listen to this Spirit, you will actually learn to grow in obedience and Christ-likeness. I mean, it's kind of a big deal. But in the Christian community, there are two extremes whenever we have this conversation. One extreme elevates the Holy Spirit and the gifts and the spectacular to the point where you, you, there's really not a lot of talk of anything else. And then the, a lot of the rest of us, just because of that extreme, go to the neglect of the Holy Spirit and don't want to ever have that conversation at all. And so we just want to be, above all, Trinitarian people. We want to have our faith and practice spoken into by the Scriptures. And so last week, we just cleared some ground. We did some one-on-one stuff to remind ourselves the Spirit is a person, a him, not an it. The Spirit is God in us. It's the way that Jesus is with us. And the expectation, uh, lo and behold, is that you begin to look more and more like Jesus because of the presence of God in your life. That there should be a difference Um, between somebody that does not have the Spirit and somebody that does. And so the natural question is, okay, well, what? how do you grow into the Spirit life? And Paul begins to answer that in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 15. I'm sitting down today because I have a brand new spiffy outfit on. And and I wanted to show these folks my niece. Now, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. DeVries, this is for you right here. Be very careful then how you live. Not as wise, excuse me, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, and we all know debauchery when we see it. Instead, 
be, I, I, that was funny, but no one else thought so. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's fascinating is that Paul is writing to a church community, and he's already said to them they have this Holy Spirit. So one of the first questions we ought to be asking is why, if they have the Holy Spirit already, does He command them to be filled with the Spirit? What's, why do, why, are there two? I mean, it sounds like in English that you can have the Spirit and not be filled with the Spirit. Go to chapter 1. Go to verse 20, or go to verse 13, chapter 1. You know what? I'm in a great mood, kids. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And I'd like some people to join me. I know, I know it's Stormwatch 7000 out there. I mean, I know... <laughs> We had one one-thousandth of an inch of rain, and so, you know, the Doppler radar HD was out in force this morning, and I know, you know, a morning like this, it just makes you want to curl up with a book in your warm bed and, and snuggle up with a nice, you know, cup of coffee. I understand all this. However, for whatever reason, you are here now, and we are going to be in a good mood. Now... Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul's writing and he says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised what? So, does it sound like they already have the Holy Spirit? And later, he says, be filled with the Spirit. That's interesting. Go to chapter 2, verse 22. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. It, it sounds like they have the Holy Spirit, correct? That is two-year-old for amen over there, or infant for amen. Uh, go to chapter 4, verse 30. Yes. I wonder what this point will be. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't compete with me. And do not grieve... The Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Does that sound like they already have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Why does He tell them, if they have the Holy Spirit already, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It sounds like it's possible to have the Spirit of God already and yet not be filled. Would you agree? Am I overmaking this point? Absolutely. Now, before we answer that question, we have one other concept we have to introduce. We will now embark on about a 10-minute stretch that will include some Greek and some weird conversation, and you might get lost. If so, just know at the end of 10 minutes, there'll be a bad joke. You are then invited to re-engage. Relevance, relevance will be down the road a little bit. All right, go back to chapter 1. So Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we wanted to look at passages where the Spirit was mentioned already to make the very obvious point they already have the Spirit, but Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, which raises the interesting implication that it's possible to have the Spirit and not be filled with the Spirit, or else he wouldn't have to command it. Would you agree? He uses this word filled, be filled with the Spirit. Now I want to look at that word because the concept of fullness in Ephesians is central to, to Paul's uh, writing here. So go to chapter 1 again and go to verse 23. Now we're looking at passages that talk about fullness or filling. It's fascinating stuff. If you're single and you're wondering, will this help me get a date? The answer is no. <laughs> it will not. But however, your being here, looking interested, could. 
<laughs> Who knows? Chapter 1, verse 23. Speaking of the church, which is His, Jesus' body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Jump to chapter 3, verse 19. Paul's prayer is that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do they have God already? And so Paul's prayer is that they would be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. Jump down, if you would, to chapter 4, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. Paul speaking about the risen Jesus giving gifted people to the church. And he says the purpose of that, so that until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of what? Christ. Now, Mondo, fire up the PowerPoint. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I get paid the big bucks right here. I just took passages from Bible Gateway and put them on a Word document, and we turned it into magic PowerPoint. Now, Ephesians 3, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of who? God. Ephesians 4, you may attain the whole measure of the fullness of who? And then in Ephesians 5, instead be filled with the Spirit. Does that almost sound Trinitarian to you? Almost. It's like Paul, so Paul's not dropping some foreign idea on him in the middle of chapter 5. He's been arguing the whole time, hey, be filled with the fullness of God, be filled with the fullness of Christ, and now he's saying in chapter 5, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit already, now be full, now be filled with what you're full of. That's what he's saying. Does that clear it up or what? Be filled with what you're full of. You already have Father, Son, and Spirit. Now attain the whole measure of them. Live in light of all that you have already. Grow in your capacity to learn and serve and discern and be led by God in your life. So I want you to see, whenever we have this conversation, be filled with the Spirit, it's part of a bigger conversation where Paul's saying, hey, you have the Father, but I want you to be full of the measure of the Father. You have the Son, I want you to be full of the measure, the full measure of the Son, and you have the Spirit, so be filled with the Spirit. Now that doesn't clear it up exactly, but I want you to see that this isn't just something out of left field. This is what Paul wants for normal followers of Jesus. You have God, now be full of Him. You're already full of Him, so be filled with Him. Now, if that doesn't make any sense, which it kind of doesn't, Paul, whenever he speaks like this, he's speaking to people who are now and not yet people. What this means is that you are, in virtue of being in Christ, holy. But you're not holy. So the invitation is to become what you already are. Right? I... The scriptures say, I'm a saint. Right? It says this. Now, if you looked at my life, am I always saintly? 95% of the time. Absolutely. (laughs) Am I always saintly? Of course not. But yet, I'm attributed saintliness in virtue of my union with Jesus. So now, I become what's already true of me. It's like the example I always use is that of being a husband. Right? I was pronounced a husband, but I didn't know what that meant, and so the rest of my husbanding journey was to become what's already true. And so that's what Paul is arguing this whole place. He's, this whole place. Uh, this whole letter. He's saying, you're ministers, so be ministers. You're holy, so be holy. You're adopted, so act like children. 
See, this is what makes this different than religiousness or morality. See, the gospel is Jesus has done the work, now live in light of it. And so Paul will say similarly, because you're now and not yet people, your old self is put to death, so kill it. And he'll say, because you're now and not yet people, be filled with what you're already full of. See, this this whole way of talking has to be done because you are people in whom two ages coexist. The age of sin and death that is passing away and the new age of God's redemptive power through His Spirit. Both exist in you. Now, I may have lost you completely, but what I want you to see is that when Paul says, be filled by the Spirit of God, what he's asking of us is that because we've got the Spirit, that we would experience in increasing ways the fullness of who the Spirit is. Are you with me at least on that point? Now, jump back to chapter 5 for a second. Let's do some Greek. Let's just do Greek because we can. Now, here's what we believe about the Bible. We believe that anybody can open the Bible. You poor guys. I I don't want to have to stand up here, though. You know, because just, it's kind of lame to stand up here. Wouldn't you agree? I'm just taking shots at my worship leader. Um, If you missed that, that was just a little jab right over that direction. Now, um, I was going to say something really profound. Greek. Here's what we believe about the Bible. We believe that anybody can open up the Bible and get the basic plot. We believe that anybody can open up the Bible and hear God speak. We believe that you don't have to have any background, any training. You can open up the thing and benefit. Absolutely. We also believe that you can spend your whole life studying it and never reach the bottom. We believe there is so much depth to it that the more you learn about the culture and the language and the traditions, it just adds flavor and color and it makes the scripture even more vibrant so that you appreciate the genius of God and the way that he put this thing together. And so when we go into Greek, the idea isn't to say, hey, you need to leave this to the realm of the experts. That's not the point at all. The point is, hey, I just want to show you some flavor because there are some things that English just isn't equipped to pick up that Greek is. All right, so Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. Now, why would he have to tell a church that? Because back in the day, they would get drunk on wine in the middle of a church service. Because, and and this will shock you, the earliest Christians, if you came out of a Jewish background, you would put a church service together like a synagogue service, because that's all you knew. Because you were Jewish, and now you were a follower of Jesus. If you came out of a non-Jewish background, the only thing you knew were drinking parties called symposia. This is how Romans gathered socially. And what they would do is they'd tell off-color jokes, sing off-color songs, engage in sexual immorality, and get drunk. So Paul is writing to a church, and he says, don't engage in sexual immorality, let there be no coarse joking, and don't get drunk. Because that's what, and literally in Corinth, there's a church um, in Corinth, and Paul writes a letter to this church, and he says, hey guys, can we not get drunk? In the middle of communion? Seriously, stay classy, Corinth. It's kind of the banner. <laughs> and, and so, like, this was a problem. So he says, do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. And we all know that when we see it. Ah, oh, that's so funny. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, Mondo, PowerPoint number two. The command to be filled, this is going to be fascinating, is first... Uh, in the imperative mood. Now, what that means, it's a command. 
and it's not a suggestion, right? So it's an exhortation to do something. Number two, it's in the plural form, which means it's written to a community. It's not written to just a bunch of individuals. It's written to the church. So, hey, church, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, church, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the reason that matters is because you and I always read the Bible with an individualistic lens on. What's this verse mean to me? That is not the right question to be asking. Paul is always writing to a church, or if he's writing to an individual, he's writing to the individual about the church. Because in the Scriptures, you're always a part of something bigger than you. And so, like, when you read later in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God, well, you can go to the Christian bookstore and and buy the full armor of God and put it on, right? And, like, the little toy, breastplate, and helmet and stuff. And that's so foolish because, well, it's foolish for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons it's foolish is because that command to put on the full armor of God is written to a community who need each other. The worst way to, the worst, or excuse me, the best way to wreck your relationship with Jesus is by doing it alone. End of story. It was, you're all meant to be together. So, Paul says, to the church be filled and led by God's Spirit. Thirdly, it's in the passive voice. Now, it's a little funky, but it's something called a passive imperative. An imperative is a command to do something, but because it's passive, it's a command to let something be done to you. And that difference is really, really important. Can you fill yourself with God's Spirit? No. There's no formula. There's no mechanism. There's no sure-fired, three-step, guaranteed plan to be filled with God's Spirit. Instead, the command is to, be, to allow yourself to be filled. It is literally to allow yourself to be filled. To let something happen to you. Now, we have a part to play, right? We ask, we seek, we knock. We don't grieve the Spirit of God, so we worry about obedience and and all of those sorts of things. But the command fundamentally is not that you'd fill yourself up, but that you'd allow God to fill you. Make sense? Ten? Okay, kind of. It's in the present tense, which means it's not a one-time command, but it's the ongoing reality of the Christian life, that you, in an ongoing way, would be filled with God's Spirit. And then lastly, in Greek, Paul gives five results of what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you right now, these are crazy. This is going to get so uncomfortable. I I, I mean, I just want to apologize ahead of of time, because some of you are going to be really freaked out by what Paul's going to say when, when it happens that you're filled with the Spirit. Are you ready? There are five present participles in Greek that are attached to... He says, what happens when you're filled with the Spirit? Check out how freaky this is. Are you ready? When you're filled with the Spirit, here's what happens. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's crazy. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. And then the last one is in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. In other words, a church that's filled with the Spirit worships and submits to each other. Does that, I mean, is that not crazy? That just sounds insane. I just can't imagine being a part of something like that. Do you guys recognize sarcasm here? Okay, I just, you're going, and I'm going, and you're going, and I'm going. I mean, you have this conversation and you feel like, oh, it's loaded to all this kind of crazy stuff. And then he says, oh yeah. And when the church is filled with the Spirit, it will worship together and submit to each other. 
oh, okay, well, that was kind of anticlimactic. You know, I was expecting some more fireworks or something. And, and certainly when God's Spirit is at work, stuff happens. But what Paul's simply saying is, listen, you guys, think about what he's just said. Be filled with the fullness of the Father. Be filled with the fullness of the Son. Be filled with the fullness of the Spirit. How does that happen? Well, church, allow it to happen to you as a regular, ongoing, in a regular, ongoing way, as a normal part of Christian experience. And what will happen, church, is that you will sing together, worship will break out, and you'll submit to one another. And... Next week, we'll look at the verse that follows. Wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) And we're just going to stop there and then end the book of Ephesians. All right? We're just going to stop right there. We'll spend three or four weeks on that, and then we'll just stop. No, because what Paul does, well, we'll get, I'm not, you have to come back next week. Because what he does is absolutely brilliant, and, and the church has so totally missed it. Now, I want you to see, point number one, Paul writes to people who already have the Holy Spirit, be filled with it. Well, what does that mean? Well, he writes the same thing about the Father and Son. You already have the Spirit, so be filled with the Spirit. You already have the Son, so I want you to attain the full measure of the Son. Now, what does that mean exactly? I want to contrast a balloon with, a, with like a cup. When we talk about being filled with the Spirit, I always looked at it like being filled like you'd fill up a cup. It's kind of a fixed container, and you receive the Holy Spirit at conversion, but then when you sin, you spill some, right? You go through life, and a bit leaks, and so God's got to top you off every now and again, right? Like your roadside, you're traveling along the highways of life, and you're burning gas, and then He just has to fill you up. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I thought of it. So I thought of, there's this fixed container in my soul. God puts His Spirit in there. But every now and again, I screw up. I spill some. And some leaks out. And so I've got to be filled up. All right, That's how I normally think of it. But that's not the image that Paul gives. Paul gives an image that's better captured by this. Now, and I will make this into a pony in just a second. Is this balloon full? (laughs) Kind of. Well, it's full enough that I can't, like, collapse it. I mean, it's maintaining, like, a uniform pressure, so it's full for this size, but could it be fuller? But it's full now, but it could also be fuller. So, the best image I've ever found of capturing be filled with what you're full of is something like this, where you're full. I mean, this is full for this size, but it can be fuller. And, along, and every step of the way, it's full, even if it's smaller than this or larger than this, it's full at every step of the way, but yet you can always progress to more fullness. Would you agree? So this balloon can experience more fullness even though it's full right now, right? See, that's what I think Paul's getting at. You're fit, you've got the Spirit. It's not like there's more Holy Spirit out there somewhere waiting for you to be open. You've got the full measure of the Spirit. Now, progressively grow into fullness. I mean, dumb example. Marriage again. Single folks, sorry. Someday you'll learn these hard lessons. My wife and I get married. We're pronounced married. Do we live in the fullness of our marriage? 
No, I'm living, I have one agenda, survive the wedding and get to the honeymoon. That is my sole agenda. My wife has one agenda. We're going to have candlelit dinners every night. You're going to wash my feet. We'll take bubble baths together, listening to, you know, she listens to just horrible music, so I'm just trying to edit it. And, and, you know, and you'll cook for me. I mean, it just, so she's, she pictures just unending romance. I picture unending romance in a different kind of way. And then all of a sudden, you have the reality of human life and sinfulness collide, you know, collide with the reality of human life and sinfulness in another direction. All of a sudden, you realize, oh my goodness, marriage actually is work. It just doesn't come as naturally as it did when you were dating. And you learn that even though I'm married, I'm not living in the fullness of my marriage. It's not like there's part of my wife that's out there somewhere waiting for me to grow into husbanding, right? I've, we're fully married, but we're not living in the fullness of our marriage. So the idea is that when you and I hear something like, okay, be filled with what you're full of, well, that's, that's like nonsense. That's like gibberish. And I'm trying to look at different ways of cutting this so that you could say, okay, okay, I think I got it. For many of us, we look at being filled with the Spirit as if it were like this static thing. And because we sin, we got to get topped off. No, 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 that's not, that's not the image. We look at it, instead what Paul's saying is, listen, it's full now, but it could be fuller. You're full now, but you could experience more. See, what stands behind Paul's command to be filled with the Spirit is the yearning of many of us to see more of God in our lives. It's not just, hey, I've got the whole thing, where is it? It's you now have a part to play in being receptive to the move of God, of seeking the move of God, of obeying the move of God. And what happens is that gradually your fullness expands, your capacity for fullness expands, so that you're actually seeing and feeling and experiencing more and more of what God is like. It's not like there's more of Him out there. Now, granted, the omnipotent, you know, beautiful, majestic creator living in us, I don't know what kind of condescension he has to do to fit. I have no idea. But the image is that you and I, some of us are full this much. We're still full, but we could be fuller. We're now and not yet people. And so the image is that you and I would be gradually and progressively increasing in our ability and capacity to experience the fullness of all God is. Is this helping even remotely? Now the reason, the reason this matters, I grew up uh, in a very conservative church. I remember the exact day the Charismatics invaded. <laughs> right in the middle of a worship song. I mean, Worship songs, everyone knows, worship songs are just appetizers for the sermon, right? I mean, that's, that's when the real stuff happens. Now, I'm, I'm lying and exaggerating, because theologically, that's not true at all. Theologically, the point of the gathering is worship, and teach, good teaching always serves worship. And good worship is teaching. Different sermon. But everyone knew that in my church, you know, you just kind of sang three hymns, and you had the sermon, and then you sang just as I am. That's what you did, all four verses, until someone came forward. And it was usually the same couple of people every week. Now, <laughs> right in the middle of one of these extravaganzas, new people, we had never seen them. They didn't know our rules. Right in the middle of a song, they lifted their hands up. 
and kept them there. All 200 eyes, which would be 100 pairs, look at this. The elders of the church met briefly after the service. Okay? It was all my dad and stepmom wanted to talk about on the way home. So when I talk about the Holy Spirit, I want to let you know I'm not coming from an extremely healthy place. Right? I'm as conservative as you could ever imagine. But what I've learned, simply, I mean, simply in virtue of brothers and sisters around me, but also where the text leads you, is that far too many of us, like we talked about last week, live in this, live in this either legalistic, moralistic, or totally laissez-faire attitude towards the grace and salvation that God has given to us. Many of us are trying to carve ourselves into the image of Christ, or many of us have given up on that, and it's just kind of like, well, I'm just holding out till I get you know, uh, up to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't just, hey, your sins have been wiped away because God was in a good mood. The gospel is actually God in you, transforming, working, saving, redeeming. In fact, salvation is, is mentioned in three tenses. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It is an ongoing, not one-time process. And you have a part to play. However, the part you play is to allow it to happen, to make room for it to happen, to open yourself up for its happening. So yes, we participate. But that participation isn't, i got to do all of this stuff today to be a good little Jesus follower. It is instead, I want to cultivate an openness of heart so that God can do whatever God wants to do. For me, a couple of falls ago, my dad died. I was having a miserable, miserable fall. And I I remember, whenever I pray or whenever I do sermon prep, I love to listen to loud rock and roll music. I know this is horribly offensive to some of you. I can't listen, I can't listen to a lot of other music. Country music's of the devil. There's no question about that. Um, Some of this emo stuff, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, I just, I need some grunge. Or I need some, sometimes some 80s glam rock, I'm not going to lie. Every now and again, some Bon Jovi just hits me right where... Anyway, so I turn all my lights out. I know this is horrible and you don't care, but I turn all my lights out. I stick a fan right in my face and I rock out. And I'm praying, believe it or not. And I'm asking Jesus. Now some of you are thinking, well, maybe if you turned off the rock and roll, you'd get more of Jesus, son. (laughs) That could be. But I have thrown away and rebought my Guns N' Roses collection like five times. <laughs> anyway. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm miserable and I'm crying out to God. I'm crying out to God. I'm crying out to God. I'm literally so sick of sinning. I'm so sick of just being mediocre. And I ask God. And I'm just learning this stuff. And I'm like, God, I don't know what it means. I don't know what this means. All I know is I'm not experiencing the fullness of your salvation or the fullness of your presence in my life. And I'm not a huge, like, mystical experience guy, but here's what it felt like. It felt like my heart was encased in something and it opened up and something slipped in and then it closed. And I know that's theologically not right. I mean, it's not like the Spirit's hovering out here waiting. You know, I mean, I got it. Um, I got all that God has. But yet, Something happened, and it just, the next two weeks, that's the weirdest thing I've ever undergone in my life, for the next two weeks, and I know this doesn't sound sizzling, but the next two weeks, I had a desire to be holy that I've never had before. Like, literally being, 
obedient was my greatest joy. I can't explain it. It sounds so cheesy. Of course a pastor's going to say this. No! This happened during Pearl Jam, guys. I need you to understand. And, 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 and what happened was literally, I've never, been, I've never had such a hunger and thirst for God in my whole life. Ever. And, and, and have you ever seen the Seinfeld where George Costanza, who's kind of the lovable loser, realizes that if he just did the opposite of whatever he thinks he should be doing, his life will be great? This, if not Hulu, kids, Hulu, check that out. Now, it was like that. It was literally like, I remember my wife and I were arguing on the way to church. Shocking. And, and in the middle of our disagreement, uh, my normal reactions to arguings are punishing, withdrawing, or, you know, saying something back that's not in- incredibly encouraging. Uh, and would you agree those are not three good responses? And... Um, And instead, I felt like God was saying, hey, dude, we've tried it your way. Let's try it my way. Why don't you just step up, man up, and apologize before you pound each other for the next half hour? Now, I know that sounds like a no-brainer, but married folks, you know how hard that can be sometimes, right? you got to make your point first, and then I'll apologize. (laughs) And so I I just, right in the middle of the argument, quit arguing. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm totally ridiculous. I should never have done this. And my wife just goes, you know, she can't, she doesn't even believe it. She's like, you're just trying to get out of it. No, no. Honey. And, and literally for two weeks, every, like every instinct I would normally have, I had the correct instinct. And, and since then, my battle with, um, with sin uh, or anger or pride, I mean, those things, not perfection. Oh my goodness, no. But there's been change and progress. There's just a hunger and a thirst for God that I just haven't had before. And I want you to know, that's some of what Paul's getting at, brothers and sisters. That, that living life with this Jesus, he's not just in here. right? He's in here. And you have a part to play in whether or not his fullness is more full in you as you live your life. And so literally, men and women, the gospel isn't just, hey, you're forgiven. I mean, hallelujah for that. But it's so much bigger and deeper and wider than that. And for some of us, this is a like, not comfortable conversation. Some of us are literally like, no, nah, I'm not interested. But there are more than a few of us who read about this Jesus when he speaks of streams of living water flowing through deserts who grab a hold of that image because desert is what I feel like a lot of the time. Or you read about his, the Holy Spirit testifying to our spirit that we're actually God's children. Who doesn't want that? Or you read about Paul saying the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. Where's that? I mean, who doesn't want to see more of God? Who doesn't want to feel or experience or know more of God? And the way Jesus makes himself available to us is not only through his word and not only through his community, but through his spirit in us. So would you guys stand up for a second? People on the gray chairs are thanking me. People in the movie theater chairs are not. Now, I want you to stretch out. Go ahead, stretch it out. Now, close your eyes. 
Would you hold your hands out if you would? You don't have to do this. But what if we ask God to fill us with the Spirit as a church? I mean, I, it could get freaky, guys. Worship might start busting out. We might start submitting to one another. I mean, it could be crazy. But what if we actually took God up on the command? And uh, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, would you close your eyes and would you bring yourself before God? And here's what I mean by that. Don't polish yourself up. Don't get all religious. But would you just say, God, here I am and I'm bored. Here I am and I'm hungry. Here I am. I mean, whatever your real self is, would you bring it before him? Nothing fancy. And if I'm looking at your eyes right now, I'm the only one allowed to have eyes open. And as you bring yourself before God, would you ask him if there's anything in your life, same question as last week, if there's anything in your life that grieves him, and if something comes to mind, would you actually bring it under the forgiveness of Jesus, claiming the forgiveness, asking for a heart of repentance? There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ, not one bit. But if there's anything that's quenching and grieving his work in you, ask him to show you. And maybe there's some repair that needs to be done, some reconciliation that needs to take place. But whatever it is, bring it before him. And now would you just ask God to fill you with his spirit? I mean, and don't worry about anything. Just God in obedience, in faith, fill me. I open myself up to your filling. I pray that I would have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and holiness. Teach me how to worship. Don't worry about whether or not you feel anything. That's, that's not the point. Just ask, Holy Spirit, come fill me. I yield. Have your way. And make this an ongoing posture where you go before him. God, fill me. And see what he does. Father, our prayer very simply is that this living water your son spoke of, we would begin to know. This fruit that your spirit produces in us, we would begin to see. The witness of your spirit to our spirit that we're your kids, not in some abstract way, but a deep knowing of that truth. Would you bring about? Would you fill us, Holy Spirit, as a church? Would you release gifts into your children to edify the body? Would you release faith to trust you in such uncertain times? Would you release healing for the brokenhearted, the hurting? 
would you, would you release love that we might love each other well? Would you release holiness that we would be a community out of great joy who simply wants to be marked off for you? Father, we, your children, are weak and frail and sinful, and yet come stumbling into your throne room boldly because of the Christ who has purchased for us this great salvation. And we come begging and asking and seeking and knocking for the transformation, the intimacy, the promise of all that that salvation entails. Lord, keep us hungry. Keep us thirsty for more of you.